Tonight we uh, come to the conclusion of our mini-series uh, in the Ten Commandments. We could come to, tenth, to the Tenth Commandment, I should say. Um, I've entitled this mini-series Stone Text Messages from God because really that's what it is. God is giving the Mosaic Law to his people. We've been working through the book of Exodus for the past, I don't know, nine months or so, and we finally got here to Exodus chapter 20, so we slowed down and took each one of these commandments so that we could really understand them and take a, uh, just time to really look at each one. But realizing this, and I've, I've told you this every time we, we uh, have looked at these commandments, the commandments will not save. The commandments are the schoolmaster pointing to your uh, sin and that you cannot uh, go to heaven. You cannot have a relationship with God in your condition of, of being sinner. But God has sent his son, and it's the grace of God that you're saved by, not by keeping the law. So when we study these commandments, you scratch your head and say, well, then why do we study them? Because they are very important. They have huge impact. They should have huge impact on you and I. And as we'll see tonight, Paul, Paul, it's this commandment that changed the life of the apostle Paul. I'll show you that as we work our way through uh, looking at the commandment from the perspective of the Old Testament and then this commandment in perspective of the New Testament. It's the commandment of, of covetousness. Now, let me really... I'll just take a moment here to stop and say that the Ten Commandments have the, these three different aspects, and I've tried to make that clear as we've taught through them, but this is the last one, so I want to make sure you get this. Each of the commandments have different impacts. The first four, as you recall, on the first tablet had to do with our duty toward God, or the focus was really upward. It was upward. It's, it's our responsibility to God, the first four commandments. No other God, no idols. Do not misuse the name of God and keeping the Sabbath holy. Those four commandments on that first table of stone have to do with an upward focus or our vertical relationship with God. The next commandments, the fifth through the tenth, really have to do with our relationship to man, to others, to our neighbor. It's a big deal. Remember, Jesus said it again. Love God with everything and then love your neighbor as who? As yourself. These are the two most important aspects. Jesus even commenting on the Ten Commandments and how important it is for us to see them as standards of behavior, especially when it comes to people around us. So the first four had to do with an upward focus. And then the next Five, they have to do with an outward focus, the, uh, the kind of a horizontal focus with the people around us, our neighbors. They are honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Last time we looked at the ninth commandment, which was about bearing false witness or lying primarily in court against your neighbor or just lying in general. We applied it in both ways, as you recall. Now this 10th commandment. We had the upward focus, we had the outward focus, and now this is where this commandment comes in. And I think a lot of you read this one and go, oh, I don't have any problem with this one. Stealing, lying practically, I, I got problems there, but, but this one, I don't have a problem. But as you're going to find out, we all have a problem with this one. This is all inward. This reveals the heart. And those of us that are Christians, those of us that understand who we are as sinners, we know that we got a big problem with our heart. 
The problems we see in society, the sin we see in society isn't, it's not a skin issue, it's a sin issue. It's a a problem of man's heart. And from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, this sin reveals itself. And slimy serpent snake comes to Eve and says, oh, Eve, look, look, look at this fruit. Look how beautiful it is. You're not going to die if you eat it. Look how gorgeous it is. And she began to covet, and she took that fruit and ate it in disobedience to God's command. So this covenant here, do not covet. You could subtitle this, The Sin No One Wants to Admit. Let's pray, and then we'll look at it tonight. Lord, we thank you for the word. I pray that you would teach us and change us and mold us and make us into the image of your Son, Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done in our behalf, dying on the cross and by the grace of the Father and the work of the Son, by believing and receiving the gift of eternal life and salvation, we can be saved. Lord, speak your truth to us tonight. Encourage our hearts. Refresh us with the coolness of your word, we pray in Jesus. Amen. Let's read verse 17 in one verse. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now, I want to point out a couple things in here because I think they're important. First of all, there are seven things here. Seven, for those of you that study the Bible, students of the words, there's a seven means something here, but there's seven things, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, male servants, female servants, ox, donkey, and then the last one, the seventh one, anything. There's seven things here. Seven is the Hebrew number of what? Perfection, completion. I don't think there's any doubt that God wants us to really understand at this 10th commandment, is to be all-inclusive of all these different things and many, many more covetousness in our hearts. It's very important that we understand this and that we are not to covet anything that doesn't belong to us. We're looking at the neighbor's home. This is property. Parents, are you teaching your children not to take other people's property? This was a big deal for us when we were raising our kids. We took this commandment very seriously. We had five children in the home, and each one has their own possessions. It's important to make sure that your children respect another person's property. You can do that in many different ways. I I respect your property when I do not throw things out the window. I, I, I don't throw cigarette butts out the window. I see that happen. It drives me crazy on the mountain. Cigarette butts out the window. Bad thing in the mountains, right? But trash, people just throwing trash out. They're not respecting others' property. There's a lot of ways to apply it. Very important for us to understand uh, that we're to respect our neighbor and their property. That's what he's saying here. Everything that belongs to your neighbor, you're not to covet, though. That's what he's saying in this commandment. And notice, again, the word neighbor is mentioned three times. Your neighbor's possessions those things that are not yours, they belong to someone else. It's all forbidden right here in this commandment. Now, 
of all the commandments, I would say that this is the one that we break the most. It's broken without any external thing. It's all done in the heart of man. Remember, Jesus said for us men that adultery doesn't happen with the act. Adultery happens where? Where does it happen? In the heart. Covetousness happens in the heart. And others don't see what you covet. But we all do it. As we're going to see, we, we all do it. Coveting is a consuming desire, a highly competitive view of things. You want it. You want to own it. It's very strong. Someone said this. Notice behind me on the screen, coveting is a kind of conspiracy in one's soul to commit evil. I like that. In brief, coveting wants more. And you can never get enough. When you're coveting, you just want more. It doesn't matter how much you have. I, I heard this last week at Jeff Bezos, you know, the owner of Amazon. He's like the richest man in the world, right? I don't know, $150 billion? I don't know what it was. And all he wants is more, right? That's not enough. I mean, we always say, we think about, wow, wouldn't that be enough? A million, wouldn't that be enough? It's never enough. It's never enough. The heart always wants more. Habakkuk says this, and I'm going to rip off some scriptures. I want you to understand. Because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Here's a ruler that's coveting, being a ruler over all the world. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 4 describes the the futility or the vanity of man. He says this in Ecclesiastes 4, there is one alone without compassion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and grave misfortune. Someone that just wants to work. They, they, all they do is work for money, 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 money. It's all about money. Their whole life is about gaining, coveting. Not only wants what it does not have, but wants what it cannot have. Coveting, it wants things that belong to another, which can't be bought. This is where it gets really technical, but listen, I think this makes it very clear. In other words, you can... I can covet something my neighbor owns, a car, a motorcycle. I can covet that, but I can buy that too, right? I can, I can, I can respect my neighbor's property. I can say, man, I, I love that car. I covet that car. I want, I want to buy it from you, and I can buy it legally, right? But when it comes to your neighbor's wife, you can't buy your neighbor's wife. But boy, can you covet in that way. Coveting is man's greatest problem. Wanting something that you do not own, that someone else owns. And, and right now, I am just guessing that with your phone silenced, there's a phone ringing. And it's a number that's from Nebraska, or I get them from D.C., They're DC Washington, D.C., really important. I'm important. I got a phone call from D.C. And you answer it. Who's on the line? Who's on there? some marketer, right? And they want to exploit your covetous heart. A salesman, that's what they do. They exploit it. They try to explain that you need whatever they have to sell. You need it. You'd be better off if you owned it. They're selling you something. They always exploit you in that way. The ads, commercials, visual pictures of 
of, it's, it's like for you ladies that buy beauty supplies, do you honestly believe that you're going to look like that supermodel when you use their eyeliner? I mean, seriously. Think about it, though. They, would, they don't put up the regular average person like you or me. It's the supermodel that they put on there. And she's got the longest lashes. And, and just buy this mascara and you'll look like her. That's, is that true? No. And then we covet, right? We covet for those kinds of things. If I only had the iPhone 10 or a Galaxy, whatever it is, J7 Plus, they have a Plus now. And last month it was a 7, this month it's the Plus, and oh, it's so sad. You need that, right? That's what marketers do. They exploit your heart. They exploit your covetous desires there. It's, we're never satisfied with what we have. It reminds me of something I heard a long time ago. I'm sure you've heard it too. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. We, we <laughs> it's, it's a problem as a heart. Jesus in Luke 12, there was a man that came up to him and he saw Jesus as a leader and he says, hey, I got this brother and he's taken all of our inheritance. Our dad died. Would you make it fair? Would you make it equal? Would you divide the inheritance? See, Jesus spoke to him. And Jesus spoke to the guy's real need. This is what he said in Luke 12. Here it is behind me on the screen, Luke 12, 15. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. This man thought, I can get more from this inheritance. Lord, make it fair for me. And Jesus went right to the heart. He said, listen, beware of covetousness. Jesus countered the culture, saying, your stuff will never satisfy. Remember, Jesus, I, this is, cracks me up. The faith and health and wealth preachers and teachers, are, I mean, I can name their names. You probably know who they are. They're the ones living in the real rich houses. They have cars and boats and the fancy suits and all. They, they're, they're, they're bilking these elderly Christians who sit at home and watch TV out of millions of dollars by the way they, they present things. They exploit these people and their greedy desires, and then they live like kings. It's a trap, and people fall into that trap. They tell you that you're gonna, you, your prayer will be answered with their special healing water or the hanky, whatever it might be. It's, it's greed that drives them. I think as, whenever I read or see or hear again, again, I hear again, these the same people in the church, you know, the, the follow them and they're, they're built out of their money by them. It's just, it, it just burns me up. I, I want to yell and scream. I, I can't do it because you'll be thinking about who they are instead of the study tonight if I mention their names. But Humans by nature are greedy and we're self-centered. And we always want more than really the, than we can hold. And a, a covetous person is never contended but always wants a little bit more, reaching out for just a, a little bit more. And that's really what verse 17 is about, a covetous heart makes you go after things that really are not yours. Now, there are three things here 
that are forbidden to covet. Number one, do not covet your neighbor's property. And I've already mentioned that, but notice verse 17, you shall not covet, that's strong desire, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's house. The reference to a neighbor's house means ownership here. And we as Christians are to protect the integrity of our neighbors. We're to look out for our neighbor. Jesus tells us that. The Old Testament teaches that as well, that we're to be looking out for our neighbor. When Jesus was asked again about what the greatest commandment was, you remember what he said. Here it is. We're going to get there in a couple of months in Mark 12 on Sunday morning. He said, the first is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And then the second, which I've put up behind me on the screen, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, there is no other commandment greater than these. So we're to love our neighbor, and part of that is respecting their property. But it's wrong. It's wrong to uh, covet your neighbor and his things. It's not wrong to like your neighbor's house. I, I remember looking for a home a few years back. We, we bought a home in Highland. And we lived in an area that wasn't as nice, and we had planned on and saved for something nicer. And we would drive in the neighbors. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, this is a nice neighborhood, and this person has a nice house. That's really not coveting. But when you want it so bad that you've got to cheat or lie about your income to get the loan to get it, that's coveting. That's wrong. And the Bible makes that very clear for us. When you resort to illegal or unethical ways to get that property, that's covetousness. It's really theft. But covetousness is condemned here, right here in verse 17. The strong desire, that's what it is, that you want to have something that you don't own. You want it so bad that you manipulate to get it. You steal, you, you manipulate people and things to get it. Again, covetousness starts in the heart. It starts here. It's not an outward thing. It moves into the outward realm. It actually moves into all the other commandments when you think about it. But it starts in the, the heart, and it's a big problem. Your heart's a big problem. My, prob- my heart's a big problem. Here's what Jeremiah says. You've read this. You know this. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. That's why covetousness is such a problem. It's, it's a heart problem, and I can't control it. I can't control my own heart. i got to see that my heart is wicked. I have to understand that as a Christian. That's, that's the war that Paul talks about in Romans 7, the flesh and the spirit. The spirit that's, that's new, it's the new creation, the new man that wants to do the right thing, and then the flesh, the heart, the deceitful heart, it wants its own. It's wicked. A wise Christian knows that his heart is wicked. She knows to expect covetousness in, in things. As you grow in the Lord, you start to remember, you start to learn, and you'll look at things in a different light. You won't look, you look at it and go, that's just stuff. When you really look at it, when you buy it and you open the box, it's just stuff. It's plastic, doesn't last very long. 
you ordered it and you anticipated it coming and you're excited when it got there. You open it up and you go, oh, it's just stuff. And none of it lasts very long. But you wanted it. You coveted for it. You, you, you did everything to get it. The wise Christian knows to look at things differently and to deal with things differently through prayer. Lord, you know, man, I love that. I mean, I, I don't know if you're like me, but when I was growing up, I... I had a couple motorcycles. I got hit by a drunk driver on a brand new KZ650 in, in 1980. Brand new, driving down baseline right here. I got up to a drunk driver. I didn't see the boat he was pulling. I hit the boat because the boat swung across into my lane right here, and it broke all this stuff on this side of my body. And a drunk driver just, just running into this guy. I don't know why. I said, what did I say that for? My mind tonight is. <laughs> <laughs> Trusting the Lord for all of your needs. Praising the Lord for all that he gives you. Waiting on the Lord and, and really um, obeying the Lord for all that you need. It's, it, it has everything to do with looking at the Lord and his provision for you and trusting in his sovereignty and not being covetousness not having that covetous heart, I should say. So three things that are forbidden to covet here. Number one is your neighbor's property. Number two, you're not to covet your neighbor's wife. Notice there in verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. In other words, to desire, to have this strong desire for another man's wife or another woman's husband, you could say, sinful. And if you think of another man's wife as pretty, that's one thing. That's not coveting. You haven't really committed a sin until you have a lustful desire, and that desire to possess her takes control. That's coveting. That's a sin. And then you're guilty, like Jesus said, of adultery. You're guilty of two sins, adultery and covetousness. The best example of that is King David. Turn to 2 Samuel really quick. I just want to read through this. You I could tell you the story, but I just want to take some time just to look at it real quickly. Because it's such a bizarre story, for one. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here you have King David, who should be in the springtime of the year out being a general, protecting his country by fighting off the threats of the nations around. But he doesn't go out with the generals. He stays back in the palace just hanging out. He's got a lot of free time on his hand. And one night he goes out onto the balcony. And I believe he knew what he would see. A woman, her name was Bathsheba. Does anyone think that's strange? Am I the only one that Bathsheba? She's taking a bath on a rooftop in front of the king. Now, coincidence or maybe... I kind of think they both to blame, don't you? I mean, whenever I read this story, that's why I want to read it again. Notice here, because King David becomes this example of coveting. Notice 2 Samuel 11. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab, his servant, and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed. And he walked on the roof of the king's house. So he's, he was in bed. That, think about this. This is late at night. What is she doing taking a bath late at night? I, I, I'm thinking, splashing loud. Maybe she's talking loud. 
to get his attention. I, I, that's just me. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. I'm thinking in the dark. And the woman conceived, so she sent to David and told him, I have a child, I'm, with, I'm, I'm pregnant. Then David sent Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Verse 7, when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. So they're having a conversation. Hey, what's going on, Uriah? How's, how's things on the battlefront? L listen how he's being so deceptive here. And David said to Uriah, Uriah, you've been a hard-working soldier. Why don't you go down, take a bath, take off your clothes, relax, go into your house. Notice what's, he's manipulating the situation. So Uriah departed from the king's house in a gift of food. David even gave him a banquet. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all his servants of his lord. He had so much respect for David. My men are in the battlefield. I, I can't go home and enjoy my wife. I gotta, I'm staying outside. So when, verse 10, they told David, Uriah didn't even go home. David came back to Uriah. Did you not come from a long journey? Why, why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said, well, the ark in Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. My Lord Joab and my servants and my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? What are you thinking? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. What a man, Uriah. Then David said, wait here another day, just another day. Just take another day off. I want you to relax and, and just stay home. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem the next day. And then David called him again, and he ate, and he drank before him. And David got him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. He still wouldn't go home. He's drunk, and he won't go home. That's how committed this man is. Uriah is a, an interesting study of a faithful man. And in the morning, verse 14, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and then withdraw, retrieve from him that he may be killed. So it was. Uriah takes the letter with a death sentence in it. He doesn't even open it. He's that faithful. The men of the city, or, or while Joab besieged the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew were valiant men. So Joab puts Uriah right in front of the the most skilled archers, the most skilled killers on the other side. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people, the servants of David, fell, and Uriah, the Hittite, was killed. So David coveted. David lied the height of sin. David, it all started with covetousness. He wanted that woman. He wanted to lie with her, and then he committed murder to cover it up. 
So three things that are in this text uh, back in Exodus chapter 20. Let's go back there in verse 17. We saw you're not to covet your neighbor's property, your neighbor's wife, and do not covet your neighbor's possessions. Notice the list here, verse 17, toward the end, his male servants, female servants, ox, donkey, or anything that's your neighbor's. Servants, animals, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You're not to covet anything that your neighbor owns, the stuff they have, the house they live in. Looking at their car, seeing their grass perfectly manicured, or the Harley parked in the driveway. It's one thing to say, man, that's a cool ride. It's another thing to want it and do something to get it, to do anything to get it besides legally buying it, you know, and switching title, stealing it or, or coveting it so bad that you'll manipulate situations. That's what we're talking about, the sin of coveting. It happens when we want something so bad that we're willing to hurt someone else to get it. We cross the line when we do that. So verse 17, it says that any of us can covet property. Any of us can covet people, in this case wives, or possessions. And we cross that line when we do anything to get those things that belong to someone else. Now, let's look real briefly at coveting in the New Testament because I want to show you what Paul teaches and what I alluded to earlier about Paul's conversion and how this commandment impacted his life. Romans 7, verse 7, notice what he says. Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. He's referring to the Ten Commandments, and then he says this, For I would have not known covetousness, and the law had said, You shall not covet. So Paul is saying that this is the commandment that taught him he was a sinner. He thought he was a good Jew. Remember, he, he, was, he was a Jew of Jews. He followed every law. He obeyed the Word, he studied the Torah, he understood, he was a teacher. He was, I've done everything. But then when it got to the covetousness, oops, oops, that's when he realized, I'm a sinner, I'm wrong, I'm condemned. This is the law that broke the apostle Saul because this is the law that he realized that He couldn't save himself from this condemnation because it was inside. It was inside his very heart. This law showed him the inwardness of sin. That's why covetousness is so dangerous. And this commandment, it brought Paul to his knees. He knew that he was lusting after something that he couldn't have. Some commentators believe this, and I, I think this is plausible. Remember, Paul was going around the book of Acts killing Christians, killing them. He was holding the jacket of Stephen, his cloak, while Stephen was stoned, as you recall. Why? Because Stephen was going around preaching in a way that Paul, nobody listened to Paul. They listened to Stephen. They listened to Peter. Paul had no clout. The the Jews in Jerusalem were flocking to hear the gospel. They were leaving the synagogues. Paul hated that. And he's holding the jacket of the very man, Stephen, that preached the gospel 
so faithfully, even while he was being stoned. And it was covetousness in the heart of Paul that breaking that law that brought him to his knees. Paul goes on to say this in Colossians. Notice this verse behind me here. He calls covetousness idolatry. Therefore, put to death in your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, and here it is, covetousness. And notice what he calls it, which is what? Idolatry. The second commandment, remember the first four commandments, upward. No other gods, no other what? Idols. No idols. And that was primarily, if you remember, when we were doing that study um, nine weeks ago, primarily God says, I don't want any image of me. God wants no image at all of himself. Idolatry. God hates it. It's interesting that we started there in the Ten Commandments and now we're kind of ending there with idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. To covet is to deny God's provision, God's sovereignty, God's blessings in your life because you think you can go out and get it yourself or you need to go and get something that you don't have. And that way you're denying God's goodness. You're denying His grace. Covetousness is very dangerous. It becomes idolatry because you love the thing more than you love God. You love the, the stuff and, and the provision and your own ability to get it, even if you're lying to get it, more than you trust God for His provision for you, his sovereign work in your life. So, how do you know when you are coveting? Let's answer that question since I'm throwing all this stuff out. I'm going to title this Diagnosing Discontent. How do you know when you're coveting? Well, you're discontent. Number one, if you find yourself thinking or saying, if I only had a better job, if I only had a little more money. If I only had a better church to go to, everything would be better, right? If you find yourself thinking, if I only had just that one little bit more, that's coveting. It's coveting. In other words, gee, I'm just not satisfied. But if I had that, if I had that one thing, that, that Harley, that car, that boat, whatever it is, then I'd be happy. But that's not true, is it? It's not true. If you're not satisfied with the things you have right now, you're not going to be satisfied with the things you're wishing for because it's just stuff. It's stuff. And like Solomon says in Ecclesia, vanity, vanity. It's all vanity. It's an empty pursuit. It's futile. Seeking more, seeking stuff, seeking better, being discontent is the opposite of being a loving child of God be grateful and thankful for all that God provides. Let me show you some scriptures that help to bolster that. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, consent, or conceits, and tumults. Wow. Now, I was in Corinth. I saw the footprint of the city just a few months ago. Big city, a very, very uh, important place of commerce between east and west, probably the richest city, like New York City, Corinth. 
very populated, very powerful, very rich city. But within the church, you had all these people that came and they came to know Christ. And then they were doing the worst things. You read the book of Corinthians, both first and second, those two letters are all corrective. He calls them brothers, but boy, were they blowing it. They were, they were bad, those Christians. They were misbehaving Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. And this list, look at this list. Their contentions, their arguing, their jealousy, their outbursts of wrath in the church. He's saying, brothers, these things should not be. Why were they like that? Because they were jealous. They wanted what the other person didn't have or what the other person had that they didn't have. When you're preoccupied with your possessions, you'll do all kinds of foolish stuff. Like the man in Luke 12. You know the story. I've grown great crops, and they've filled my barns. Gee, what should I do? I'm going to tear down the old barns and big, bigger, build bigger ones. Remember the story? Here it is in, in Luke 12. This is what he says. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. Then whose will those things which or be which you have provided? Coveting and wanting more. It, preoccupied with possessions. And then in Proverbs, we become stingy. Proverbs 28, verse 22 a man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. I love that verse. When you love things and use people rather than use things to love people, you're upside down. You're upside down in the Christian life, and there's, there's a problem in the heart. Paul says in Romans 13 this. He said, for the commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, steal, bear false witness, covet. There it is right there, you shall not covet. And if there are any other commandments, they're all summed up in one thing. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you use other people, when you covet and use other people to gain what you want, that's coveting. So what's the cure? What's the cure for coveting? Well, We've already kind of talked about it. It's being content. Being content with whatever the Lord brings to you. Number one, there's two things, two points here. Number one, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord in all things. Paul in Philippi, in a prison that you can visit today. Paul wrote, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A lot of times we take that verse out of context, don't we? Paul. Paul was... Chained. Paul was in prison when he wrote that in Philippi. Paul knew after being shipwrecked, after being snake bitten, after being beat to the point of they thought he was dead, stoned multiple times in these cities that I just recently visited when we went through the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, Philippi, down to Berea, down to Thessaloniki, all the way down to Athens and Corinth. 
over to the island of Crete and Ephesus. Paul was just abused, but he knew how to abound. He was content with all that God had given him, provided for him. I love the Apostle Paul and to look at his life. Notice what he does there. I love this. The very, very beginning of that verse. Go back to that verse that was just up there in Philippians. But I rejoiced in the what? The Lord. That's how you defeat covetousness in your life. You rejoice in the Lord. You rejoice in what he's given you. You rejoice in the the beater car that has flat tires every week. You rejoice in what God's provided for you. The hammer that breaks when you're doing work on your yard, or I mean on your house. The lawnmower that won't start. Well, whatever, Lord. You provided me this old clunker. Help me get it started, Lord. And then it starts running. It's like, praise the Lord. I got a lawnmower. It might not look like the brand spanking new one that Costco sells, but it works. Are you thankful for all the things that you have? Christian, we, we're not to covet anything. We're to be under God's sovereign control. We're to submit ourselves to him, trusting him to provide everything that we need, believing that he's in control, walking by faith. The cure for coveting, number one, is rejoicing in the Lord. Number two, we're to pray to become grateful. If you're struggling in this area, this is what you do. I'm giving you a remedy here. It's in 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything give thanks. Hey, I know it's hard. It's hard to give thanks in everything. I know. But if you're struggling in discontentment, if you're struggling with with covetousness today, it's because you're not allowing God to be God. Let God be God. Let him show his power to move a mountain. Let him show you his power to answer your greatest need. I have a brother in our church that was just diagnosed with cancer in his stomach, Robert Alva. We need to pray for Robert. Not here tonight. We need to pray for him. There's other people in our fellowship that are hurting. Ricky um, is uh, Ricky Fraley, thank you is in the hospital right now. He's struggled with asthma, but right now he's struggling with a blood clot. I had one of those a few years ago. It's bad. You can die from that. You need to pray for him. I'm bringing those people up because you might be here tonight thinking, oh, I got everything okay, but I really want that motorcycle. Listen, you don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You just need to trust the Lord today. He's sovereign. He loves you. But you need to be grateful. We need to be thankful as his children. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the word, how it affects us all as we read it, as we apply it, as we live it. And I ask tonight, Lord, that you would take these words and the many scriptures we looked at tonight and may they just sink deep into our heart. May we be be a grateful people, a thankful people. May we trust in you for all of our needs, whether it be housing or car, whether it be a job or finances. Lord, that we would be content 
knowing that you love us, that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, that you are the creator of the universe and you love us more than the sparrow. Father, for those that have needs tonight, may they have great faith in you to provide. May they stay within the boundaries of loving their neighbor and trusting you for their provision. May we as your people honor you, Lord, and not be guilty of covetousness. May we, like the psalmist David, say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Help us, we pray. And Lord, we pray as a congregation tonight for Robert Alva, our precious brother, has just been diagnosed with stomach cancer. We ask God for you to intervene. Please, oh Lord, may your sovereign work. May your hand touch. We believe, God, you can do. May your will be done. We pray for Ricky. We pray for so many others, Lord. There's Carol. Westfall, there's Carol, Northup, there's so many in our fellowship that, that we love and we pray for. So many more that I fail to mention even tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would touch them and that they, as your children, would honor you and thank you, even in their storm, even in their difficulty, even in their trial. Lord, may you bless them and give them courage and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.